right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. My name is Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed clinician here in California, and uh, I appreciate you all joining me for this episode. Ah. Uh, I appreciate just being back in the office. Everybody, thank you so much for the past couple episodes, I suppose. Well, for the past month, I've been out of the office for parental leave. Um, we uh, uh, About a month ago, we had our second uh, kiddo, and um, uh, he is happy. He is healthy. My wife is happy, and she is healthy, though everyone is tired. So, But things are going pretty stinking well, but... Um, there's there's just a there there's something nice about being back in the office because I I, I I like helping people and talking about OCD stuff and I mean as much as I like you know a a toddler or not a toddler an infant just screaming at me in the middle of the night which I don't but I mean that's that's what babies do right it's babies so anyways uh, he's he's mostly adorable other than the yelling at me and um, not being able to be soothed in any normal reasonable way at least as far as I can tell I'm not good at it um, I mean maybe I wasn't good at it with the first one but I, I don't know these are just the things that are going through my head but um, anyways um, everybody for those of you who are new to the show um, this is a question and answer based podcast if you have questions about anxiety spectrum disorders OCD treatment um, just kind of anything in general just go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can message me a question there and i will get it and i will read it and i will consider it and likely speaking i'll put it up in a future episode this episode is actually going to be no different than that so we're getting back to the questions everybody fear not and uh, i've got a couple episodes i've got some feedback from a previous episode that we'll talk about here in a little bit and i think it will be interesting for all of you i'm going to tease it a little bit it is in reference to t OCD. So that is the the fancy short term for trans or transgender OCD. So um, for those of you who are interested in that or just controversy, hang out. It's going to be a little bit later in the show. Um, but um, but what I thought was actually interesting, I just wanted to share. And again, you have heard me, if you are a repeated listener to this, um, uh, you've heard me use my example of car accidents a bajillion times on this and how we all need to take risks and how we're not promised that we're going to get home safe. Um, and uh, it's a tried and true and exhausted uh, example. But um, but again, I still think it works to explain that we all need to take risks and we don't have certainty that we're going to get home or that certainty that anything that we, what we want to have happened will happen. Um but you know what, everybody? I thought about all of you over the break, because guess what happened to me over the break? I got into a car accident on my way home from something, and I had my two-and-a-half-year-old in the car with me. So, I'll start out with this. We are fine. We are fine. Um, after the accident, we went to a chiropractor. We got checked out. We're, we've done a couple of treatments. We're going to continue to do a couple of treatments. Um, you know, a little bit of whiplash. Next, a little wonky. Two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old is totally fine. Um, I mean, wonky doodle fine, but, you know, as, as fine as you can be after a car accident and still getting treatment. But anyways, the car is not. The car has gone on to a better place. 
um, I think it's a junkyard, but uh, the car got totaled. So how it worked is that um, I was driving home. Someone turned out in front of me I did, without enough time for me to stop. I slammed right into them. Um, my car was totaled. I'm pretty sure their car was totaled too. Um, but luckily, not my fault. And um, But still sucks, right? It still sucks because I didn't plan on getting into a car accident. Who plans that stuff, right? But it, it just proves the point that, you know what? Well, it actually proves a couple of things. One, it just proves that stuff happens. I'm going to reserve my pirate language and just say stuff happens that we cannot anticipate, we cannot expect. Um, despite my best efforts of being a good driver, despite my best efforts of driving the speed limit and being aware of my surroundings, stuff happens that we cannot anticipate. But it doesn't mean that it's always going to happen because you know what? I drove the following day. And I have driven pretty much every day since then. And it's just something that happens, and it's not going to happen all the times, but sometimes things happen. All right, I beat that point. Um, the other part is, is that it, it also illustrates that even if, the, even if something we don't want to have happen happens, oftentimes, very usually, it is not the worst case scenario, right? So, a car accident occurred. Well... I and my daughter are still alive. The other dude is still alive. We are uh, we are okay. We everyone walked away from it. We really did. You know, the cars are walked up. That's what happens, right? But it's the worst case scenario did not happen. Now, best case scenario was we didn't get into a car accident. But guess what? That wasn't one of the options. We also need to remember. My point here is th is this. Our anxiety is going to tell us the worst case scenario is the thing that's going to happen. The worst case scenario is one of the options of the things that could happen. Usually, the things that could happen is nothing. I mean, really, for the most part, on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, nothing is happening. You've heard me talk about how reality, ultimately speaking, for the most part, is pretty stinking boring. But sometimes things happen, and they are not the worst case scenario because there is a lot, there's a, uh, there's a zillion things that could happen between nothing and the worst case scenario. What I encountered was, you know, one of the things that was in between here and the worst case scenario. When we go in and anticipate our, or when we go in and, and try fighting with our obsessions or fighting with our fears, what we're fighting against usually is the worst case scenario. And the worst case scenario is generally speaking, objectively awful. I don't want that to happen to me or you or anybody else. But it's helpful to bring ourselves back from that and remind ourselves, you know what? The worst case scenario is unlikely. So it doesn't mean that we need to spend all of our day ruminating about or talking about or fighting on it and all that stuff. But when that happens, it can be healthy to say, you know what? It's unlikely to happen. It doesn't mean nothing's going to happen. But it's unlikely. So do I need to waste my time ruminating about or fighting against or anticipating or making plans against the worst case scenario? Probably not, because it's unlikely to happen. It's extremely unlikely. Anyways, so that was just something that had happened to me, and it really punctuated a couple of points that I wanted to bring up. So again, we are safe, we are good. Now we are looking at my second least favorite thing that I ever have to do is buy a car. The worst thing, the number one thing I hate the most in life is having to move. Um, moving house is awful, but um, buying a car is my second 
least favorite thing. It's awful. It's awful. I'm sorry if you if some of you out there are in sales or are car salesmen. I don't hate you. I hate the game. I think that's how the kids are saying it. Anyways, um, all right, that's about enough of that, everybody. We've got a fun uh, group of questions today, so I'm going to get onto those right now. Right, so this first question comes from Stanley. Stanley, in a very short question, says, what are the benefits of taking omega-3s like fish oil to combat against OCD and anxiety? Are there any benefits from omega-3s at all when it comes to these disorders? So Stanley, I will say, generally speaking, I do not comment on medicine or anything that goes into your body uh, because I ain't a doctor. Um, but uh, I did do the... Um, the, my due diligence, I suppose, and tried to read a little bit uh, through uh, Dr. Google and went on the internets and tried to look up some stuff. So here are some of the things that I have found. And again, this is not my expertise, but here are some things that I found. So first I found um, a, a Harvard study. I found two different, um, two different either websites that talked about this from Harvard, or these are two studies that Harvard had participated in. Either way, um, they ultimately one had ultimately said that they can be helpful for depression and mood disorders, and um, kind of one of the things that they had done in this research was, was they they kind of went on the it was kind of evidenced or supported by the idea that depression is generally lower in cultures that eat a lot of fish. So they kind of used that as the basis for this research, and they found that yes. Um, depression can be or can be aided and mood disorders can be helped a little bit with um omega-3s um so the 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 cultures that eat a lot of fish this is kind of one of those blue zones if you're familiar with that so uh, a, a blue zone is some of the some places along or around the world that have been identified as people who like live a really long time um, and they generally have better health they have generally mental health but it's not just their diet they also have a ton of other things that they're doing that contribute to this healthy lifestyle generally speaking they aren't smoking they aren't drinking they aren't um they they are well connected they are are oftentimes religious, religiously oriented, uh, which comes with a whole bunch of other positive mental health things. Um, so there, so it's not just the fact that they eat a bunch of fish that helps. It's a lot of things within those blue zones. So I think that may be something to consider in relation to this study. So another one also mentioned that anxiety can be affected, but. They said uh, they, that there wasn't enough evidence to make a conclusion that omega-3s will help with, uh, with anxiety. So take that for what you will. So some studies are saying, yes, it can be helpful, but there's just not enough information right now that says, like, yes, everybody with anxiety, go out and take omega-3s. So I did find a whole other study that said 0% evidence that can be found. It did say, yes, omega-3s uh, can be, and, and I suppose eating fish can be helpful as part of a healthy diet, but they didn't. They couldn't find anything that specifically said it would help for anxiety, depression, or any other mood disorders. So, take that for which for, for take that as you will. Um, what I'll say to the well, I'll say this: if you have questions, if you the listeners have questions about how uh, omega threes or any other dietary supplements can help your mental health, go speak with your doctor. Go speak with a physician about this. Um, now, by the way, it, when I was reading, I did not go to any websites that were specifically trying to sell um, supplements or anything that was like omega3.com or anything like that because 
I don't trust it. They have something to sell. Anyways, um, so uh, Stanley, I hope that answers your question in the most ambiguous possible way. But um, they can be helpful or they could be completely useless and just something you're going to pee out later. So there you go. Hope that helps. All right, so this next question comes from Natalie. Natalie says, Hi, Mr. Foss. Um, I've been dealing with OCD slash obsessive thoughts for almost a year, and I recently found your podcast has been incredibly helpful and informative. I've been starting to feel better, and the thoughts are causing less anxiety. They go on to say, um, Last time I started to feel better like this, I doubted that I even had OCD or obsessive thoughts, and it caused me to have setbacks in my progress. I also began to obsess again on past events, and the cycle continued. So my question is, what should I be doing to avoid relapsing or falling back into the OCD cycle when I start to feel better? All right, Natalie, that, this is a really, really good question. I don't know if we've ever addressed this on, the, on a previous episode, but relapse prevention is incredibly helpful. It's, it's, it's a necessary step in the treatment process. Uh, for obvious reasons, it's a discussion that happens near the end of treatment because obviously the, the goal of treatment is to get out of treatment, right? You've probably heard me say this before. My job is to put myself out of a job. If you never have to see me again as your clinician, great, right? So uh, under good circumstances, obviously, like I want to I get to this point where we're able to have this conversation about relapse prevention. And it's a necessary tool to incorporate into treatment so that you, as you end treatment and having kind of the scaffolding of having a therapist meet with you weekly, you want to be able to have a plan in place so that you know what to do when it hits the fan, right? Or when anxiety naturally will crop up again, or when your brain it likely inevitably will latch on to another obsession. So these are things that will happen because remember, OCD and anxiety are, or anxiety is a natural human experience. We want to have anxiety even a little bit, right? As you've heard me say before, if you step out in the middle of the street and you don't get a little bit of worry or you don't get an intrusive thought about getting run over by a car, you might not do a quick like scan left and right to see if a car's coming. That jolt of anxiety was beneficial, right? You've heard me also talk about the Yerkes Dodson line, right? It talks about how when you have a little bit of anxiety, it can actually increase your performance. Too much anxiety can actually have a detrimental effect on your performance. So anxiety can be beneficial. We want to have it sometimes and in in reasonable amounts. But you are all listening to me because you might be experiencing too much anxiety, right? So we're trying to figure out a better way to deal with it. Anyways. All right. So Natalie, I have a couple tips for relapse prevention. So the first thing, as you're ending treatment, remembering that treatment is not over. You're not meeting with your therapist anymore, but it doesn't mean that now you're done and fixed and never have to challenge yourself ever again. It just means that you do it on your own. So one thing you can do is you can intentionally plan and literally schedule and put in your calendar exposures that happen on a weekly, monthly, and kind of biannual basis. And this increases with intensity. So on a weekly basis, you're going to intentionally do something that would be kind of moderate mid-level um, of exposure. On a monthly basis, it's going to be a little bit bigger, right? Because you're not doing this all the time. So you can intentionally schedule it in your calendar and you can go do this difficult thing. And then I want you to plan into your life to 
big exposures that you do. So, you know, for some, and that's going to kind of be like a, like a pilgrimage sort of thing. Like you, you might go do something, right? If it's like, if you're afraid of heights, right? I know this is not OCD, but if you were afraid of heights, like I'd be saying, all right, once a week you go to, you know, that tall building in town and you take the elevator to the top and you go to the edge and you call it a day, right? Monthly, you might go to the big city or you might do, you might stay up there longer, have lunch there or you know, something to that effect. And then, and then twice a year, you'd make a, a point to go to like a really tall bridge or go to a place that, um, you know, climb a mountain, right? This is not something that you would do on a regular basis, I don't think. But do that and, you know, stick your legs over the edge of the, um, you know, the edge of the cliff safely. Don't, don't be crazy about some of those people. But the whole point is do things that raise your anxiety on a weekly, monthly, and, 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 and kind of biannual basis. I'll also say this, include exposures into your day-to-day. So it's not just on a weekly basis. So doing daily exposures, you can do them intentionally, certainly, but you can also do them as needed. So when you see the opportunity to take up an exposure, to challenge yourself to do the opposite of what your anxiety says, take it. See what happens. Challenge yourself with that, right? Um, so you're not just so you're not just saying, "Oh, I'll, I'll do it later," or you know, now that treatment's over, you know, I've got my my exposure. I'm going to do on Saturday, but you know, this is making me really nervous, so I'm going to avoid do a compulsion, wash, a- avoid, ask for reassurance, whatever the compulsion is that you're doing, or you know, or thinking a ton, right? You get the idea. Some people will also incorporate their scripting into their their weekly or even daily exercises. Um, I've heard some people will do scripting. They'll, they'll like they'll write a new script every day. And by the way, scripts can just be a paragraph long, so which is short, right? Paragraph short. Um, sometimes they'll create. Um, I've even talked to my clients about this: taking uh, all of their exposures that they've written, uh, their scripts rather, and putting them into a book, and they just kind of keep that and they casually flip through it and read through it. And that can kind of keep their head in that space and kind of remembering the fears that they went through. And, and it helps to punctuate the point that these thoughts are, are, are okay to think about and okay to have. So the other thing I would say is challenge yourself for fun. I know this is kind of the complete opposite of what we're all thinking in, in, in exposures, but see if you can scare yourself challenge yourself to things that are really difficult or crazy or things that like, you know, your past self would just go like, why are you doing this? See if you can do something that would be, that that would almost be like um, playing chicken with your own anxiety, if that makes sense. So push yourself on a regular basis. So again, this is, you're trying to make this, make this fun, right? So if it's, I mean, I've talked to folks about this. I've done this too with my fear of heights is that, um, you know, if and when I, I ever, well, in the before times, before the plague, um, when we'd go to Disneyland, if I had the opportunity to go over, like, a, a, they have bridges on their um, parking structure that's like, it was like six feet wide and then, you know, five stories down. It, I hate it. I hate everything about it. But, you know, I'd try to make a game out of it. Like, I'd intentionally go across it. Or if there are other rides that are, you know, really high up that I'd be uncomfortable with, I'd try to go on them um, and try to make a game out of it as best I possibly could. All right. The other thing you can do with relapse prevention is create a life where relapse is impossible. So what does that mean? It is incorporating into your day-to-day or in the structure of you doing things that that doesn't allow for you to avoid. So if you have maybe social anxiety, it's that you're going to intentionally incorporate into maybe your job or you know telling um, telling other people around you that you're going to meet at this place so that they all know you're going to go there. For some people, it's going to be 
posting a picture in their house or I guess framing or hanging a picture that kind of represents the thing that they're afraid of. Um, you've heard me recommend that on your cell phone, if you're afraid of something, you can put an image of whatever you're afraid of on your phone as your like home screen, because you're going to see it all the time. You can't escape your phone. I know you all, you can't escape your phone because I can't. I'm staring at two on my desk right now. So you can't escape your phone. So that is something that's going to be with you all the time. So is there a way that you can incorporate your fear into your day to day? Two more things. One is something that I do with my clients is called the four paragraph progress story. I think this is probably based on something Jonathan Grayson talked about or someone else that's just really smart has has written about. Um, I, I learned it as a three paragraph story. Then I added the fourth because I think the fourth is actually where the magic of this is. So it basically was like this. It's four paragraphs that you write at the end of treatment. One, the first paragraph is where were you before treatment? What could you not do? What did you have to do? Well, how is your life a pain in the butt? The second paragraph is, what did you do in therapy that was super helpful? Was it scripting? Was it a certain type of exposure? Was it you know, challenging ruminations? Was it deflecting your attention towards something else? Um, was it act work that was really helpful? So what was the stuff that you did in therapy that was helpful? The third paragraph is, where are you now? What can you do? What do you no longer have to do? How is your life for more free than it was in the first paragraph? Right? It shows you the things that you did and where you're at. Now, the fourth paragraph is where it's at. The fourth paragraph says where you're going now. Because remember, just because you're done with therapy doesn't mean you're done. It means that now here are the places that you can continue to challenge yourself, or here are the you know bigger you know dragons that you need to slay. I don't know, there's a weird way to say it, but here are the like the big mountains you need to climb. I, all right, metaphors are I'm done with it. Here are the challenges that you still need to uh, encounter in your life that you weren't able to do reasonably in therapy, or that you you know can't do on a regular basis. But these are areas that you need to continue to move in and 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 uh, and challenge yourself. So that's something to consider. Lastly, seek accountability. So tell people about the things that you want to try to accomplish. Tell people you trust and love and who trust and love you to ask you how you're doing. Now, this doesn't mean ask you all the time. They're not your new therapist. But if it's a loved one, you can say, hey, once a month, could you just say, like, ask me how I'm doing with my exposures? That can help keep you on track. Now, again, this can very easily turn into compulsive reassurances. So take that with a grain of salt, everybody out there. But um, seeking accountability or having a little bit of accountability in your life can be really beneficial um, for relapse prevention. So Natalie, thank you so much for that question. I really appreciate appreciate you listening. I'm so glad that this podcast has been helpful for you thus far. All right. Best of luck. Bye. Right, so this next question comes from Anonymous. Anonymous says, Hi, Kevin. I've been listening to your podcast episodes over the last couple of weeks, and a lot of things you speak about really resonate with me. Since early high school, I've struggled with several themes regarding my intrusive thoughts, and each time the themes become darker and scarier. I was wondering what advice you would have for someone struggling with pure O who can't seem to stop Googling stuff. I almost feel addicted to searching on different forums to find people struggling with similar issues. A lot of the what-ifs I fearfully obsess over are shameful, and I feel gross for asking the things that I do. But I feel like I can't possibly move on with my day until I've read something that someone else wrote. It feels validating, but only for so long. Sometimes I even wonder what would happen if the searches leaked to the public. 
people will know my biggest fears and existential worries about being a good person. I know that my thoughts are only thoughts, but I feel very shameful spending as much time on the internet as I do when I'm deep in an obsession. There's something about the internet being forever that makes me wonder, are these still just thoughts if I'm permanently tying my IP address to them? The whole thing embarrasses me to no end, and it adds a distressing layer onto an already debilitating situation. All right, Anonymous, thank you so much for that question. Uh, this is a really, really good question. A lot of folks I've talked to have had similar sort of similar sort of worries that they that uh, um, that they they can feel that validation to read someone else's struggle and to see that someone else is experiencing what they're experiencing. Um, and it, it, it feels great to know that we aren't the only person out there experiencing this. There's, there's even a, um, it, it, it's, it's especially validating and encouraging that when you read someone else's story and they have received treatment and they've, they've made some progress and have get, gotten a little bit of that freedom that you're hoping to get, it, it's, it's encouraging because if they got help, maybe, maybe you can get help too. So I, I get the pull of wanting to hear that information and trying to get some encouragement from other people through reading their story. However, you alluded to the fact that it feels like you, you have to do it, that if you don't read it, it feels like you cannot get on with your day. So that's where it would certainly become a problem, right? We've, we've talked about have-tos versus get-tos. Have-tos are the, the obligations in life. They are the pain in the butts. They are the, 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 their struggles, right? Get-tos are the fun things. They're your hobbies. They're the exciting things in life. It's why you get up in the morning to do the get tos, right? So sometimes we get to get the validation and we get to uh, uh, see someone else's story or see ourselves in someone else's story. But if we have to, that can become a problem. And OCD takes get tos and turns them into have tos. So if you're looking for advice on, on what you should do to stop Googling stuff, well, my biggest question then is going to be, well, what happens if you don't Google stuff? If you don't Google these uh, uh, these these I guess, questions about, um, I, I'm, I'm assuming it sounds like morality or or something related to who it is that you are, kind of these existential worries you said. Well, what happens? Is it that they're going to become true? Is it you're going to find this out about yourself that uh, that deep down they actually were were true? Is it that you're never going to figure it out? Never figure out the problem? Is it that you're just going to feel bad forever? And you're just going to, like, that, that bad feeling of not knowing is just going to linger for the rest of your life. I'd encourage you to take a moment to think about what it is that you'd be missing out on if you don't Google it, or if you don't Google those questions, right? And I'd also encourage you, you know, this is kind of a simple, silly, um, nitpicky sort of thing, but um, notice the language that you use about this. You said things like, I can't possibly move on. You said things like, you know, you you're, you, you feel addicted to this stuff. Um, the, when we use language like that leads, lends itself to it being impossible or that um, it, it's, it's unable to be done, um, we send the message to ourselves that it is impossible. Now, it's, the, it's a, a tremendously big difference to say it's, it, it, it's impossible versus it's really hard. Because can you stop Googling this? Yes, you can absolutely stop Googling it. The best way to stop Googling it is to stop Googling. I know that sounds very simple and simplistic, um, and, and I recognize it is very hard to stop doing things. But we need to remember that what we're trying to do is actually to do less. So, 
in this idea of of like it's it's impossible shift that language to yourself and say okay it's really hard but i can do it really really hard and it's doable that may be able to help you out a little bit just a little bit in 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 that process so anonymous i know we talk about uncertainty all the time here but this is really a scenario where you are going to have to accept the uncertainty you're going to have to accept the uncertainty when you don't google that you're accept the uncertainty over the answer or accept the uncertainty that you may never figure out whether or not you are a good or a bad person or the the answer to that existential question but the other part to this, because I'm kind of reading two different obsessions here, they're very certainly tied to one another. The other obsession being about, you know, whether or not other people are going to find out about this, and then what does that mean? And kind of that worry that, well, you're, as you said, you're, you're permanently tying your, your, your IP address to these questions, and it's getting out there. Well, in terms of acceptance, and your IP address being out there, that is happening. That's true. These questions are being tied to your, your, your IP address, and they are going to be out there in the internet forever. But so is everybody else's. So is mine. Trust me, the things that I have Googled as an OCD therapist and the things that I've Googled as just Kevin Foss as a person would be shocking, are shocking. They're weird. I Google some weird stuff, just personally and especially at work. But, or not but, and... My IP, my IP address is out there as a result of it. This is a reality of being a person who lives in the internet world. That's where you and I are living. That's where everybody who's listening to this podcast uh, is experiencing. This is the reality that we're in. But ruminating about when you'd get caught, how you'd get caught, what you'd do, how you'd avoid it, what people will think, should you stop searching, is it worth Googling things, all of those thoughts that you're giving to this anonymous are going to be unhelpful and compulsive. The reality is you have Googled it. And in the future, you're going to Google more things. So you're going to have to sit with two things and two things at the same time. One is that I don't know, you and I don't know if our Google history is going to be released to the public. I don't think it will. It seems highly unlikely. But who knows? And it's, it, it's something that, while uncomfortable, and it might have some impact on our life in some way, we will have to sit with the unknown about when it's going to happen. Now, it's, it, it's in this moment that we have to tolerate that feeling. And we have to tolerate that feeling as we move forward in time. Because maybe that thing is going to happen somewhere in the future, but it's not happening right now. So we're tolerating that experience from right now to when it does or does not happen. So each moment when, you, when your brain comes up, it goes, oh my gosh, well, maybe it's released. Well, maybe it will. And I'm going to sit with this feeling of the unknown. It hasn't happened yet. So you are anxious about something that is not occurring but it could. It's this existential threat of something that we don't want to have happen, could happen, and we're going to accept that possibility. Not the fact of it happening, but the possibility, right? Like the possibility of, I don't know, asteroids hitting you in the face. The possibility of aliens um, eating your face. I don't know. Things happening to your face. Those things could happen, but are they happening right now? No. Okay, so what does that feel like to what does that feel like 
when that thought pops up and that thought occurs to you. Those are the feelings that you have to sit with and go, okay, I feel this. I feel anxious in my stomach. My chest is tight. It's hard to breathe or I feel shaky. Okay, I, you do feel those things. That, that is what's happening right now. Not your, your Google history being released. Okay? So that's what we're trying to sit with and accept, okay, the thing that I know is this is what I feel, and these are the thoughts that are going through my mind. Okay, well, you and I, Anonymous, can't spend any more amount of time thinking about that. We have to move on. And I would encourage you to move on to whatever that next thing is. Even though you feel uncomfortable, don't try to fix it. Don't try to get rid of it. Don't try to solve it. And don't try to, especially don't try to get into that, that hamster wheel conversation about what's going to happen, all that stuff. Instead, move on. What's the next thing you have going on during the day? All right, you feel really uncomfortable. That's okay. Move on to that next thing. When you feel that urge to Google, you can do two things. And these are two separate activities that you can practice. Um, one is to just close your eyes for a moment and just feel what that feeling is. Feel what that, that urge feels like. And just say, this feeling is okay. That urge is there and it's intense and I want to Google it. Oh my gosh, I got these thoughts. <sighs> what is that like? Except that there is that feeling, except that you really want to Google. And you really want to get the answer to that question. And say, this feeling is okay. This feeling is, while it's there and is painful, is not something I need to respond to. I don't need to do anything about this. I could sit there and just have it. So we're getting used to that feeling and saying this feeling is something that can be survived and lived through. The second thing you can do is when you feel that urge to Google, change your situation, change your scenario. You sitting in front of your computer as you have that urge to Google right now is going to be really hard. And it's, it's kind of like someone who's an alcoholic trying to stop drinking, but saying, you know what, you know where the best place for me to stop drinking is at my local bar with all my old friends who I used to drink with. That'll work. That'll be helpful. It's not, in case you can't tell. The sarcasm is, is not my thing today, I suppose. Well, it doesn't matter. I'll let you all decide. So instead, close out of that browser, get the hell out of the situation. right? And yes, some people are going to argue that this is avoidance. And sure, to a certain degree it is. But it is also redirecting towards something else and, and, and pulling you out of a situation where instead of ruminating about Googling, instead of going back into that, that, that back and forth of Google, should I, should I, shouldn't I? What's going to happen? What do I say? What happens if I don't get the answer? I need to get the answer to this thing. Change the scenario. Get out of the room, get out of the situation, close your computer, and go try to put your head into some other space. Now, if, if you can't do that, now this is that, that second bit that I'm talking about here. This is more of a temporary fix. This is, this is like, if, that, if you can't sit and continue to watch TV or be online and tolerate that, that sense of urgency to Google, sometimes it's best to just get the hell out of the situation. It doesn't mean that that's what you do all the time. It means that that's what you do sometimes to handle really big, intense feelings, right? So the goal is to put, you're putting off Googling as much as you possibly can. So 
the other couple things that you can do, and, and again, some of these tools and techniques, again, I know for some people out there, I have probably said these things are unhelpful. And there are going to be other therapists who are going to say, like, this is super unhelpful or never avoid or, you know, whatever it is. And it's that there are a lot of different tools and techniques that we can do ultimately to help you stop ruminating one and doing other compulsions. So if these things work to help you do those, at least in a temporary way, before you're able to just sit with that feeling and make choices that are going to be best and closest towards your values, then that's what we're going to do. So this is going to be a choose your own adventure, Anonymous. If you have questions about this, ask your therapist, but um, hopefully that makes sense. So a couple of the things that you can do is one. Script out what you're afraid of might happen. What would happen if people figured out or people found out either the 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 things that you googled, right? What ha- what would happen if all of your um, all of your search history was was released? What would happen if if you didn't get the answer to that question? Write that out. And in the worst case scenario, right? Scripting. It's it's a story that you write out in first person and present tense about that worst case scenario actually happening. So not what if this happens, it's this is happening right now. And this is what this person says. And I feel like this and hear the repercussions of it. Write that out. Reread it. Reread it. Reread it. Reread it until your brain is bored with thinking about it. The other thing you can do, and this one might be kind of fun, I actually want you to write down some of the Google search terms that you've put down and put them on a little piece of paper. And on the back of that little piece of paper, put your initials, right? Anonymous, AA, whatever your, whatever your initials are. So you are actually going to put down a real Google search term. And it might be, am I a good person? And on the back, it's your initials. It might be, you know... Um, what what does it mean if I have erections to the same sex? I mean, you put your initials on the back, right? Whatever that thing is that you think is so embarrassing, I want you to put that on a piece of paper, and and you know, tear up a little piece of paper. Not don't tear tear the thing up. Tear off a little piece of paper, just a little scrap. Write down what that Google search term is. Your initials on the back, and I want you to leave them all over town. Go for a walk. Fold that little thing up and put it put it on a put it on a bench, put it on a, a, a fence, put it just put it on the sidewalk. It's littering, yes, but you know what? I want you to put them everywhere because people are gonna see the Google search terms. And you know what? Your initials are gonna be attached to it. They might find out. What if? And we're gonna sit with the possibility that maybe people are gonna make that connection and go, oh my gosh, it's anonymous. I knew it. Anonymous, you searched this? You're so, and then fill in the blank with whatever that worst term is. You're so depraved, awful, um, sinful. You're such a garbage human. Whatever that thing is, right? But put those search terms or put the Google search terms out there and then wait. And maybe something will happen, but maybe it won't. So lastly, when that thought comes up, a response, and obviously we've talked about this, any response is too much response to these thoughts. But if we're trying to pull back from the compulsive behavior, one thing that can be helpful as a stopgap between those two is to say one, 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 uh, or is to say something like, you know, maybe it will happen, or just to simply put maybe, and maybe, and then move on. The maybe is what I call the Switzerland approach. Switzerland being a neutral country, it's maybe it's yes, maybe it's no, and it, so it's not saying yes, this is going to happen, or no, it's not going to happen. It's you know, maybe, but. 
we're putting that to the side. Um, if you are, uh, if you've spent any amount of time in internet land, you've seen the meme of, and I don't know what this is from, some TV show, but it's a two-panel meme where. Um, the first panel is someone who had, it's the same person, it's probably on some TV show, I think it might be British, but um, the first panel is the, the person says, oh no! And then the second panel is, they look towards the camera and say, anyways, or this is like, you know, moving on. That's kind of what we're doing. When that thought comes up of, oh no, they're all going to find out and it's going to be terrible. Your response is, oh no! Anyways, and then you move on. That's kind of what we're doing, right? Or that's the attitude to take with this. So, Anonymous, I, I hope some of that helped and, and gave you some ideas about some things that you can do uh, to deal with some of these pure oath thoughts. So, But I appreciate the question, and uh, best of luck. So before I get into my last question, I, I want to respond to someone who had responded to a previous question from a previous episode about TOCD. So TOCD being the more commonly used term for transgender OCD. Transgender OCD, of course, being the, the obsession about whether or not someone is going to become transgender, is transgender, wants to be transgender. The, the focus of someone's obsessions is on transgenderism. So the, their main criticism was that I was using the term TOCD, and they felt that gender identity OCD ought to be a better term, uh, as the as saying transgender may or does in fact exclude cisgender OCD, um, which it, which would be someone who identifies as trans, but is is obsessed about the possibility that maybe they're actually cisgendered, and maybe so in, in essence maybe they're lying to themselves or they are deluding themselves or they're otherwise wrong. Additionally, they brought up the point that um, perhaps HOCD, the term for homosexual OCD, or gay OCD is, the, is sometimes used, but they said the, the more inclusive term that we ought to start using would be sexual orientation OCD, as that is more inclusive to someone who is, who is, who is identified as straight, but fears that they may be gay. And the flip someone who is gay, who is identifying as gay, but is afraid that they may actually be straight. So additionally, this, this critic had, had stated, I'm just going to say critic, it's, I don't say that negatively, it's that they, they are objectively criticizing the language that I was using, so I'm going to use that, that term. Um, so the, the critic had believed that, that my discussion of TOCD was actually uh, being that it was more terrifying, or they believed that I was insisting that transgender OCD was more terrifying than a fear of of being uh, of being cisgendered and they felt that i missed the mark and i'm just going to uh, include this this little bit they said i felt that your account subtly reaffirmed the narrative of, of trans experience as something that is really and inherently a scarier prospect than cis than the cis experience in fact plenty of trans people would find it incredibly unpleasant to discover themselves to actually be cisgendered and therefore have the obsession to that effect. Now, I, I absolutely agree. So to this person who wrote this, I absolutely agree. Now, the language I was using, I was responding to a question from a from a listener who identified as straight was afraid that they were going to become transgender they had used the term tocd so therefore i was going to use that term too and furthermore it is terrifying to them and it is terrifying to them and 
I agree with I agree with the 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 critic as well. Someone who identifies as trans may be terrified, equally terrified of being cisgendered. In no way am I saying that one is worse than the other, and that one obsession is worse than the other. Um, what I'm saying is to to every individual person who has OCD, what they're afraid of is the thing that's they are they are most afraid of. So, in no way am I trying to undermine someone's obsession by using one term over another, or if I, you know, am leaning into, you know, how how terrible it would be to be transgender. It's I'm trying to speak to that individual's fear that is in front of me. It may be a little belittling if someone were to come into my office and say, oh my gosh, I'm so terrified to be transgender. And if I went, eh, I mean, you know, it's not as bad as this other one, right? It, It... it, it would be it would feel incredibly dismissive to that person. So I'm, I I try not to be dismissive. So um, first off, I should say I, I will say certainly if I was dismissive and if I came off dismissive, uh, I, I do apologize for that. And I I've, I've exchanged some emails with the person who sent this uh, just to try to clarify some things. So I think it's important actually to to recognize that that yes there, that we can start to use more inclusive terms. I think gender identity OCD does a really good job to include TOCD and cisgender. OCD. I think um, uh, using the term sexual orientation OCD absolutely does include more than just someone who is identified as straight and is afraid that they are gay. Um, and this is it's something that I even noticed when I first started treating OCD is, you know, you, you in the process, you very quickly hear about the term HOCD. But then you start eventually I had worked with someone who identified as gay and then they they were afraid that they were straight which led me to the obvious uh, term of and and this may be an offensive term it was wrong term but it was like well what term was I supposed to use so it was reverse HOCD it was straight OCD it was you know trying to come up with a term that had met this person's experience to that end Sexual orientation OCD, which is a term that people are trying to use more and more um, on, on, on blogs and literature and at conferences. So these terms are starting to get around. But I will say, terms of HOCD and TOCD are very much at this point still the most common vernacular. So I'm going to be using those terms. I'm going to try to use more inclusive terms as well. So this also further just speaks to the difficulty that we have in the OCD community with using these terms and trying to have a term for every single person's fear and the constellation of things that they are afraid of. We also need to remember that every one of these is still just OCD. We use these terms as short-term to understand what the person is going through. It is not meant to be offensive, and I apologize if, if, they, if they come off as offensive or if it feels like they are. Um, it, it, is, it is a desperate attempt for all of us to try to get to quickly what this person is worried about. I will also say that I, on this podcast, am going to use the term the caller or the writer uses. So if they use the term TOCD, I'll use the term TOCD. If they're going to say HOCD, I'm probably going to say HOCD as well. I will try to use more inclusive language in the future. But if this is the language this person is using, I'm going to try to get to that as well to speak to that person's individual concern. So uh, so an, another issue that like like with the TOCD or, or uh, um, 
with gender identity OCD is the is this term is postpartum OCD or perinatal OCD these are so short uh, PPOCD is what's commonly used um, so those are terms that we would have historically used for people who have obsessions about harming their child immediately after birth and within the first couple of months or you know even years after giving birth there can be this the uh, obsessive thoughts of harm towards their child that is that is not uh, that is not the same as uh, um, uh, postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis. Uh, there's a whole episode in the past um, uh, with uh, uh, the great and powerful Kelly Frankie that you all can listen to uh, where we go over that in more detail. But she had used the term maternal OCD, which is a term that they tried to use to be more inclusive to, to include both, po both postpartum and perinatal. But even in the term maternal OCD, it excludes the male it excludes the male experience of this harm obsession. There is a group of folks or a group of men out there who also experience after, after birth, after the birth of their child, violent thoughts towards their child. They would be experiencing postpartum OCD is the term that we would call it. What they are experiencing is OCD. We might say it's harm OCD, but it's real, but it shows up specifically after birth. So we would say postpartum. It gets complicated, right? So there's a bajillion terms that I can imagine that as we keep going down this road, everybody, we're going to come up with new terms. So I'm saying thank you very much to the critic who had brought this up because it is a continually an important conversation. But I would encourage everybody to remember that what we're talking about is OCD. And in all terms that we're going to use, we, we are going to be missing something. It's, a, it's an inevitability. So as you listen to this, uh, uh, my dear listeners out there, um, I, I, I would ask for a little bit of grace, a little bit of forgiveness in this. And uh, But of course, if I miss something, if I sound insensitive, if I missed the mark, I want to know about it. And I'm going to try to be more inclusive to everybody. Now, I go through all of this to get on to my next question uh, about TOCD, and this is the language that they are using. So, so if you all have any questions about this or want to enter in more of a dialogue on this, feel free to go over to fearcastpodcast.com and message me uh, your thoughts on this. And perhaps if there are enough of them, this may be a, a great topic for a future episode. So uh, throw those out there. I want to throw that out there as well um, and be as transparent and open to this as possible. So without further ado, let me get on to this next question. So this next question, this very last question for this episode comes from Peter. Peter says, Hi, Kevin. Wanted to first thank you for your work on the Fearcast. I started having TOCD one day about two months ago. It started out of the blue after watching a movie and thinking I've never considered whether I would actually be trans. And thinking I've never considered whether I could actually be trans. I went from complete horror having constant visions, images, thoughts, etc., to easing into it by acknowledging I am experiencing TOCD. Since then, I've been doing psychotherapy and working on myself with exposure exercises. It's particularly hard because I have trans friends that are quite close to me. Your episode on TOCD was really helpful. My question relates to triggers, how to deal better with them or learn ways around them. For example, I'm listening to a song where the word change appears, and suddenly my OCD starts, as my brain relates to this word and feeling to my OCD thoughts. Or, for example, when I think of my relationship with my boyfriend and how happy I am, and suddenly the thoughts pop up as if to show me that happiness isn't possible, because I will find out that I'm actually trans. 
I'm far enough into treating and dealing with my thoughts that I've been experiencing way less fear, yet I wonder if it's going to continue forever, and I don't know how to deal with that either. I've had anxiety and panic disorder before in different shapes before, but this is entirely new to me. Thank you, and I hope my question is clear enough. So, Peter, thank you so much for this question, and um, I, I, I do appreciate the kind words as well. So, you had said, how, the, the main question is, well, how do I deal with these triggers? Well, my main question in response to that is, well, what are you doing compulsively, compulsively physically, or internally in response? That is how we ultimately are deal, dealing with triggers, and that's how you are dealing with triggers. Bottom line, the goal for all of this treatment is to do nothing. Don't think about it. Don't care about it. Don't respond. Don't do anything. Doing anything in response to it, to any of these triggers, is actually doing too much. Even, as I mentioned before, even the treatment things that we talk about is too much. Sometimes it's just going to be a, a stepping stone towards doing something, doing ultimately nothing, that we do something in treatment to ultimately eventually do nothing. Hopefully that wasn't just too backwards, but you know, I can't, uh, I can only hope for the best. So my encouragement for you would be when those, when you hear the word change in a song, don't even do anything about it. What's the, what's the purpose? There's no need to. It's just a word in a song. Your brain has made this association. It says, come into this discussion. Let's figure this out. Because the word change all of a sudden means this thing about you. So you need to defend yourself, answer it. You need to figure something out. You need to prevent something, this terrible, horrible thing from happening, right? And again, I say this terrible, horrible thing because you think this, or part of your brain thinks this is this terrible, horrible thing. When ultimately, it's just a thought. So when that thought comes up and that urge comes up, we actually do nothing about it. We, we can even in the acknowledgement of the fact that it's there, maybe giving it too much attention. But we just shift back. Because also think about this. The song also said a bunch of other words too. And if we really spent a lot of time thinking about it, we could probably think of other fears or other terrible things that could happen because of those words too. But you don't think about those. You don't do anything about them. So we're going to try to treat this the same way. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have the obsessive thought. It means we're going to practice shifting back and away from those thoughts towards towards the, the rest of the song, towards the rest of your life, towards the conversation, towards the conversations with your boyfriend, towards anything. It's a re-engagement, it's, it's an engagement away, or disengagement, away from this compulsive conversation, and a re-engagement, a reinvestment into other things in life that mean more to you. Now again, can that be avoidant? Yeah, it can, because that's also where exposures come in. You can also, in response to those, you can do exposures to the word change and practice sitting with that. I love, the, I love doing environmental exposures, which means you take the word change, you write it on 100 post-it notes, and you post them up all over your house. You're going to see the word change all the time. Eventually, over time, your brain is going to filter them out, and you're not going to care. You're going to see the word change, and it's going to suck for the first couple of days, but then eventually, if, if you are resisting getting into that argument and conversation with yourself, you shift over. But I would ask you, how are you justifying your responses to these triggers? Why do you do something? Is it because if you don't, you'll become trans, you'll figure it out, you'll realize, or you'll find out that your relationship with your boyfriend can't continue because you're going to eventually be trans? And if you don't have this conversation, or by having this argument with yourself and argument with the obsession, you're, you're warding off this terrible event? 
Is that it? Think about what happens if you don't respond, if you don't do the compulsions, and acknowledge that, well, maybe those things are unnecessary, excessive, and ultimately useless. So, Peter, I hope that answers some of your questions and what you can do, but I really appreciate the question and best of luck in the process. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for making it through this episode. Um, I hope everybody is doing well. It is good to be back in the office. I will keep this ending super short. Uh, if you have a question for a future episode or have a follow-up for this episode, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and uh, go to the submit a question link there, and you can uh, let me know your thoughts. You can let me know a question for a future episode, and I'll be delighted to answer it. Um, please remember, everybody, that the uh, Fearcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about getting into treatment or about uh, needing treatment, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can go to the find help link and there'll be some uh, information for you there. So everybody, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously.